you get this ring? What did you say your name was? I think you know what my name is. Prudence. Get out and, and stay away from us. I'm staying at the Belmark. What do you say you and your sisters join me for dinner? Let's say tomorrow night. We can talk. After how you abandoned us? How dare you? Fiery temper. I like that. It reminds me of someone I know. I am nothing like you. I would never leave my responsibilities, my family. I can see we have some issues to work through. Oh, we've got the whole subscription. Now get out before I have you thrown out. Is that any way to talk to your father? Welcome to Welcome to Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about the third episode of Charmed. Thank you for not morphing. This really should have been under your skin. I mean, it makes more sense, right? This is the episode about shapeshifters. Also, weird coincidence this week. For those of you who listen to both this podcast and Welcome to the Uncharted Territories, our Farscape episode, next week's Farscape episode is also about shapeshifters. Weird. Weird coincidence. I just thought it was weird. Especially because we're doing that one in order they were supposed to be aired, not in order they actually were aired. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, this episode was directed by Ellen Pressman. Ooh, female director. Yeah. So, she's directed, like, one or two episodes of a lot of TV that you've heard of. She directed some episodes of My So-Called Life. She directed an episode of Riverdale, an episode of Life Sentence, that show that we watched some of because it had the guy who played Merlin from Once Upon a Time in it. Yeah, apparently at least one episode of Buffy. She directed two episodes of Buffy. She directed Inca Mummy Girl. Oh. And The Puppet Show. Huh. I mean, not... Not not the best episodes, but, I mean, The Puppet Show one's pretty solid. She also directed one episode of Once Upon a Time. Ooh, which one? Uh, she... From the seventh season. Uh. <laughs> I know, right? It's not her fault. It was already the seventh season. Also, she's apparently directing some episodes of the upcoming Station 19, which is based on an amazing post-apocalyptic book, so I'm very excited about the show. Hmm. Meanwhile, this episode has five credited writers, so always a good sign, right? I mean, that has to mean it's much better than other episodes, right? I mean, it's got to be five times as good. Yeah. Yeah, so this episode is credited to Chris Levinson, Zach Estrin, Javier Grillo Marksouch, I think is the way you pronounce that. And Constance M. Burge. Oh, no, she just gets gets credit on everything because she created the show. She's not actually right on this episode. Michael Paracone and Greg Elliott. Hmm. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of people. A lot of dudes. Yeah. A lot of dudes, which I feel like, I mean, this episode is really about the father-daughter dynamic. Is it? Well, yeah, I don't think they really nail it, so to speak. But at the same time, I honestly wish uh, this is the first appearance of the Hallwell's father. He will appear, he will reappear later in the show in a more reoccurring role Played by a different actor with, honestly, a completely different personality. And I really wish they had stuck with this interpretation of the Hollowell's dad. I see your point. But the reason, according to Brad Kern, that they recast him and retooled him is because all of the scenes that he has with the sisters read as too sexual... That's definitely true. And that's definitely true. We're definitely going to talk about that this episode. Okay, so I feel like I'm one of maybe five podcasters who doesn't actively have 
negative feelings towards his father, their father. I like my dad. I love my dad and I like my dad. So maybe not the most qualified to talk about this episode. No, I have a good relationship with my dad and I'm totally capable of hating this guy. And I really do. Honestly, the other reason I'm glad that they didn't stick with this interpretation of Victor Hallowell. Mm. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Let's talk about that. In this episode, their father is named Victor Hallowell, although later we will discover that Hallowell was... Their grandmother's name. It was their maternal name. And Victor, when he shows up later in the show, will be Victor Bennett. And even later in the show, when the sisters fake their own deaths and have to create new personas, they will be the Bennetts, cousins of the Hallowells. Yes. Um. Oh, that's a storyline. Yeah, but if if Victor had stayed Victor Hallowell and not Victor Bennett as he became, I think I would have been too mad at him to really watch future episodes with him in it. That's the thing. He shifts too dramatically between the two actors. And Prue's, especially Prue, which I guess there's a limited shelf life on that, but Prue's relationship with him later doesn't make sense given the setup we have in these early episodes, which wouldn't be a problem because... You know, early episodes are when a show's finding its feet. Except that the character dynamics are so much stronger in the earlier episodes, so... Prue's characterization in this whole episode is really strange. She's so angry this whole episode, even before Victor shows up and gives her, you know, something to be angry about. Well, you already mentioned that the sexual politics of this episode are a little weird. And I think we are seeing sort of a further deepening of the fact that Prue was forced to step into their mother's shoes. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think maybe that's part of... I think maybe that's part of why she's kind of treating Victor as more of an ex. Oh, yeah. Because she was... She was forced to be the adult after he abandoned them, so she feels it more strongly than Piper and Phoebe, who just want to be his little girls again. Ugh, gross. Hate it. And... All right, we should save some of this for when the episode actually starts. But I also feel like she does blame him for having to assume the mother role in the family because he didn't step up and be an actual parent after their mother died. I mean, rightly so. Yeah, and okay, you know, we need to save some of this for later. Yeah, let's, let's save it for when Victor's actually on screen. Because I was about to get into a whole thing with him and Hank Summers. Oh. But. I, I look forward to getting into that. So, the episode opens with just some of the worst ADR I think I've ever heard. Okay, well, it's being shot outdoors. You almost always have to ADR when you're shooting outdoors because there's so much sound. That's not why I think it's bad. I mean, that is part of why I think it's bad. The The lip sync is just awful. Mm-hmm. But also, each of the sisters sounds like she's being recorded in a different room. Which is also almost certainly what is happening. Yeah, so they're having a conversation where none of their lip movements really match that much and also the sound quality is different when each different sister is speaking yes it's a it's not the best thing no it's not so the sisters are leaving their house the hallowell manor to go across the street to another housewarming across the street apparently three new neighbors have moved in and they're throwing a party to get to know the neighborhood uh three new neighbors who are also siblings hmm. which is fun yeah 
Pruitt says that she's just going to get in, say hello, be there for 20 minutes, and then bail, which is totally the way I like to party. Yeah, Prue is very relatable in this uh, scene. Unbeknownst to them, a dog is watching them from the bushes. Yeah, we get a serious black moment with a black dog, like, in the bushes, watching them ominously, its eyes glow. Yeah, it it goes full... It's the Grim. Sorry, go ahead. It goes full, that dog from the opening of the Goosebumps TV show, if you remember oh, yeah. that. Fun fact from that show, in the episode Say Cheese and Die, one of the protagonists is played by a young Hayden Christensen. That is a fun fact. I wonder if it was shot in Canada. He's Canadian, right? I don't know the answer to that. Probably. Yeah. Probably yes to both of those questions. I bet that's why we had that big influx of Canadian stars. You, you think it's from Goosebumps? I think it's because a lot of shows were being shot in Canada. Oh, yeah. Know, cheaply. So we ended up with a lot of people who were in stuff just because they were Canadian and around. Much like everyone who got famous off Xena. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Like, she was just some random New Zealander who could, you know, ride horseback and breathe fire. And they're like, hey, she's a pretty good actress. She can ride horseback and breathe fire. Maybe we should make her a reoccurring character instead of just having her in the background every episode of Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. (laughs) I do really like the fact that she was just one of their reoccurring actors until they realized, wait, she's much more charismatic and likable than Kevin Sorbo. Let's give her her own TV show. Yes. Oh, God. You know who else was, uh, who else got their start in Xena? Uh, yes. Uh, Carl Urban. Yes. Carl Urban. That's what I was thinking of. It's so bizarre to see him in, uh, Xena as three different, well, two different main characters. He's Cupid and he's Caesar. That is weird. Like, that they double cast two very important roles in Xena. Now I'm trying to figure out if they're saying that Cupid and Caesar are the same person. I don't know. Yeah, there's a running thing in Xena where, like, she has, I think, five doppelgangers. And, like, every character has a bunch of doppelgangers. I think it was uh, suggested that it might be the result of, you know, gods fucking around. Because we never find out who Xena's dad is. It just never comes up. So the implication might just be, hey, there's a bunch of women who look like Xena because Zeus or whoever was going around impregnating women. And, you know. Xena's weirdly one of my blind spots. Mm -hmm. Like, at some point we need to sit down and watch Xena. The thing with Xena is that it's... They tried to do a reboot a few years ago and that just straight up wouldn't work because it's weirdly tied to the decade it came out in mm-hmm. like xena could not exist in any point in time other than the early 90s well i mean neither could buffy but it's still worth watching even if you're just watching it for the first time see i would disagree there i feel like xena is weirdly more tied to the early 90s than buffy is just given the weird balance of camp and seriousness it has uh-huh because Buffy's really more of a grounded show. Xena's basically a live-action cartoon. Whenever anyone turns their head, there's a whooshing sound. <laughs> and its action is very firmly planted in bootleg kung fu movies. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. The way the universe is constructed relies really heavily on things you would be familiar with. If you had grown up in the 70s and were creating TV in the early 90s. Okay, so, but you're saying that Xena is 90s in that the feel and the look of it are very 90s. Whereas Buffy is so 90s because they still think James Spader is hot. 
Yeah, Buffy is a 90s show because it takes place in the 90s. Uh, Xena is 90s because it is 90s. You know, it's funny. Charmed is both. Charmed is both. And that's also one of the reasons I think the reboot has some difficulty working. It doesn't have the exact same things as Xena. It doesn't have the high level of camp Xena has. Uh But it is also sort of the sort of show that could only exist in the time period it existed in that makes sense so we should get back to charmed yes so the three sisters uh escape from their weird adr hell and enter the house across the street which i don't think we ever see again no we definitely don't and they say hi to the hosts of the party the three siblings uh two of whom are very I, I feel like I shouldn't say this after the big rant, but two of whom are... Actually, all three of them are very 90s-specific people. Oh, I feel like it's weird because I feel like they don't look like they're related at all. Which, oh. I mean, will make sense later, but... Oh, no, they don't. But they all have a real Scream 2 vibe to them. Oh, my God. That's exactly what they look like. Yes, they all look like extras from Scream 2. They all went to college with Nev Campbell. Yeah. One of them has a kind of John C. Riley thing going on. And then... The other brother is just, like, blandly 90s attractive. Yeah, I was thinking kind of Skeet ulrich Yeah, I mean, slightly less attractive well, than Skeet Ulrich. Dollar Store Skeet Ulrich. And then the sister, of course, is Dollar Store Sandra Bernhardt. Yes, I I had to look it up because I'm like, that's not Sandra Bernhardt. That can't no, be Sandra I was like, Bernhardt. No, of course it's not Sandra Bernhardt, but she does very much look like Dollar Store Sandra Bernhardt. Also, she's doing this weird, like, feral, aggressive thing. Mm. Like, they want you to know that... This sister is very animalistic. So the first thing we see her do is crush a beer can with her bare hands. Yes. The two brothers are being polite enough. They're they're being hosts. They're not really hitting on the sisters, which is something I appreciate. Yes. They're just very, oh, welcome to the party. You chill out. Have fun. And we found out that... Phoebe invited Andy to this party. Well, it makes sense because Andy lives in the neighborhood, so it makes sense for him to be invited. I think so. Maybe? I don't know. Well, he was their neighbor when they were growing up, or at least they were friends with him when they were kids. So he he was probably located around the neighborhood. And we know he moved back recently, so he could be staying with his folks. Honestly, we don't get a ton about Andy. I know. we, We never really do, do we? But... The reason that Phoebe mentions that she invited Andy is because Prue is ready to get out of there. Yes, Prue has made her introductions and now she is ready to go home. Okay, look, I love leaving a party early, but they get there, the hosts greet them at the door, and Prue's like, all right, I've done my duty, I'm out of here. That is too early. You have to at least make one round, Prue. You can't, you're not even inside the house proper yet. You're still in the foyer. We're also kind of seeing something that'll come up a lot later where prue and phoebe are both dressed more for a party than piper piper's dressed for a party piper's dressed a little dowdier than they are i mean she's got on a sundress yeah but she's dressed more down i mean you could say that it's weird to wear a sundress to an evening party but i mean the two of them are wearing black dresses to go out for the evening and she's wearing something that looks like it would be fine to wear around the house or to a semi-formal garden party yes They do not all look like they are going to the same place. Phoebe tells Prue that she had to call Andy because Prue's fingers weren't doing the walking. (sighs) 
Oh my. Which is a reference to an old advertisement for Yellow Pages. Wow. Wow. In case you forgot what decade we were in. Prue is not thrilled about the fact that they've invited Andy. I don't get this. This is another one of those things where I feel like maybe they should have written a scene to explain why she's not cool with Andy, even though she is cool with Andy later in the episode. Yeah, like last episode, like the last time she dealt with Andy, they left it in a good place, but now she's not wanting to see him and she's all aggressive towards him. I mean, the problem is one of the five writers forgot that she got things smoothed over with Andy. Yeah, last episode they established, okay, we had this prior relationship, but that shouldn't have any bearing on our current relationship. We're starting over and us sleeping together was saying goodbye to an old thing and saying hello to a new thing. And now she's like, fuck you, Andy. Fuck you. Also, although to be fair to her, Andy comes up to her and has this weird condescending sports analogy oh no okay it's not a sports analogy he invites her to a basketball game in two days Mm -hmm. and then when she indicates that she knows basketball and follows the team he's like wow i'm impressed you're not like other girls and it's like oh fuck you andy also like why did you invite her to a basketball game if you didn't think she'd be interested in going to a basketball game also also Like, you dated her for a long period of time. You should know what her interests are. Well, I feel like he invited her because it was something where he could be, like, explaining it to her while they were watching the game and he could feel all, like, smart and in charge. You dated her for a really- and you grew up together. I know. It's not okay. And Prue knows it's not okay. She says she has to check her appointment book before she agrees to go or not. And this conversation is interrupted- by uh fake john c Riley. fake john c Riley, who's like hey prue this is your friend right your friend who you invited who your sister invited to our party you're a cop right i've got these tickets and andy's like actually i'm a homicide detective and some robbery and he's like yeah great so i've got these tickets why does he have parking tickets i mean spoilers for later in the episode but why does he have parking tickets well we're or why does he care point we're still early enough in the show, which is one of the things I, I need to get over this. It's one of the things I like about the show early on, uh-huh. where are these the first demons we encounter, or are these still warlocks? Because I think Javna was a warlock. No, I think Javna was a demon. Huh. Yeah, because he, he had to feed on people for a week every so many years to like maintain his youth. Yeah, Javna was a demon. All right, so these aren't the first demons we're dealing with. Yeah. But I feel like these are demons and not warlocks. Oh, yeah, they are. They're demons. But they're also really low-level demons. Like, we're still dealing with, you know, these are the, if you'll pardon the Pokemon reference, these are the Zubats of the demon world. Oh, man. (laughs) These are the, whatever the next step up is from Slime in the Dragon Quest games. The angry ferrets or whatever. So Prue leaves the party and goes back to her house where she finds the door wide open. Bad move. I know, I know. She assumes that Phoebe left it open. Y'all left at the same time, I mean. Yeah. Also, like, who leaves their door open? Look, this is another, this is another 
indication to me that this episode was written by five men because it's a running plot point that oh these girls just accidentally leave their doors open all the time even though they're attractive women in their 20s who have you know been living in the real world for their whole lives oh you're approaching this from a different angle i did i assumed that the shapeshifters used their shapeshifting powers to open the door and then they just left it open oh oh no obviously the shapeshifters did it but the fact that the rest of the sisters pass this off as something phoebe habitually does after she lived in new york like well, again, I think this goes back to the whole everyone sort of underestimating Phoebe because of her bad past. I'm sure this is something she did all of the time as a kid, and then she left the house before they got to know her as an adult. I mean, you're giving these writers a lot of credit. I'm just blaming them for not knowing that women are basically always hypervigilant about things like their safety. I'm not giving the writers credit so much as I'm thinking this is an accidental thing that does fit into the narrative that they've created around these three women and their dynamics. We'll see that Prue, honestly, up till the time she dies, never really fully trusts Phoebe. That's true. Yeah. Prue walks into the house and she sees the dog, the dog we saw earlier, in the house, on the landing of the staircase, like foaming at the mouth and barking at her. It's genuinely terrifying until the dog starts to walk. Yeah, the dog is walking really weird, like it hurt its back legs or something. I don't know what's going on with the way it's walking. I think it has like hip dysplasia, or maybe it has something to do with the way it was trained. I don't know. But Maybe somebody has it on a lead and that person is just CGI'd out. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on, but the dog is walking really weird. But then it barks and its eyes glow. Yeah, it, well, it, it chases Prue out of the house. Prue handles the situation pretty well she just kind of backs out of the house and then you know whoops the dog's eyes don't start glowing until after she's gone but i do really like that this is lower stakes real drama this is not you know an end of the world thing this is not a you know demon bugs crawling out of the walls thing this is a threat but a realistic threat yes um also, this this does sort of get a callback in the first episode of New Charmed, where one of the first demons uh, the youngest sister encounters is a CGI monster dog. Oh, I didn't remember that. Oh. Well, we, we watched the first episode of New Charmed a while ago. Yeah, yeah, that we did. That and we did. I think, I think I may have stuck with it longer than you did. I think that's also accurate. It's not a good show. They reboot every, like, five episodes or so. I do appreciate the fact that season two of New Charmed, the house gets sucked through a magical portal and they end up in a different part of the country and they all have different jobs and different powers now. And it's basically a whole new show. They're like, literally everything that happened the first season did not matter. That's so weird. I mean, I feel like you have to commit to a concept at some point. Well... It was the thing that didn't work with the seventh season of Once Upon a Time. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Stick with your concept and give us some goddamn payoff, you know? And honestly, Classic Charmed did have some issues with this. The show ran for eight seasons, and I don't think they ever had a good Big Bad. That is true, yeah. But Cole. Cole was the best Big Bad. Yes, Cole is the best Big Bad. But at least they followed through on their storylines. It feels like New Charmed gets bored with anything it comes up with and just ditches it. 
which is why I'm guessing they're probably not going to get a third season. I'm surprised they got a second. I am too. I've heard that the ratings kind of bottomed out pretty early, but... Which is a shame. It's a concept I was definitely rooting for. Yeah, it's... Charmed but not so white. I mean, I'm here for that. Yeah, no, it's a good concept. It's just you need they needed to work on the scripts more they needed to have an established story and they needed to stick to it you can't just be like oh what's your face is dating a lady cop except no we don't like that so she uses magic to make it so their whole relationship never happened i hope you weren't invested in the three episodes we spent on this character who we changed multiple times during those three episodes because maybe she wasn't testing right oh the whole thing feels... Too it, much executive interference? God, see, that's the thing. I don't know. It could just be writers like, you know what? I don't actually like this and changing it. Well, maybe they needed to come in with the vision, with like a coherent vision of one writer, the way Charmed does at the beginning. Yeah, again, the same thing with Once Upon a Time Season 7. It feels too disjointed. It feels like it needed one singular vision to follow. Otherwise, there's no reason to care about anything if you know it's not going to matter in a couple episodes. Exactly. So we come back from the opening credits and... 7,000-year-long opening credits. They are really long. And Prue is filling everyone in about the dog and blaming Phoebe for leaving the door open. Phoebe wants to get an alarm system, and Prue says it's too expensive, which... Ladies, you cannot afford not to have an alarm system. You are being hunted by demons and warlocks. Honestly, they should set up a mystical one. I think it's something Prue does come up with in season three, I want to say. A mystic alarm system that only sticks around for about an episode, and then Paige does it for about an episode later. But really, it is something they should have all the time. The underworld knows where they live, and they just pop in and attempt to murder them every so often. These girls are so uncautious! And, I mean, if the Underworld was smart, they would just teleport in when they were sleeping and murder them in their beds instead of in the middle of the day. And honestly, they would not be able to defend themselves because they would be completely caught off guard. So, Prue's like, now, Phoebe, remember, you have to lock the door. And then she goes to take a a bottle out to the recycling and Phoebe's like, okay, and she locks the door behind Prue. Yep, she locks Prue out. It is a funny bit of stage business, although, Prue, you're telekinetic. You could just flip that lock yourself. It's a very sister thing to do, though. Yes. Speaking of families. So we cut to the next day where Prue is at her new job at Buckland's. And a guy comes in. He has a ring that he wants Prue to appraise. He doesn't want to bring it to the house appraiser because the house appraiser would take too long. So he'd rather have Prue just look at it and tell him what she knows instead. I don't know. I do appreciate Prue going like, okay, look, I can give this ring a quick once over. I can give you what I think it's worth, where I think it's from. But really, this is a very involved process. This would all be guesswork. Don't take any of this as writ. She's very clear that although she can do this, she won't be able to say anything for certain. It's a kind of, I don't want to say legalese, but it has the weight of like, She's confident enough about what she knows that she doesn't have to pretend she knows things she doesn't know. Yes. She says that it's a Egyptian ring that protects against evil and demons. Mm Mm-hmm. She also... Okay, this part really bugs me. She says that there are two stones. The symbol of duality. (laughs) Two. The symbol of two. Mono. Rail. Mono means one. And rail means rail. (laughs) Thus concludes 
our seven-week course. When she starts off, she says she's seen a ring similar to this, and she asks if it's a wedding ring, which the... Man. Man says something like that, which leads me to believe that Patty had a similar ring. Yes. And Prue's like, oh, shit. Who did you say you were? And he's like, I didn't. I'm daddy. No, see, it's really creepy. It's it's very creepy. Honestly, I, I know I already mentioned that Brad Kern said that their dynamic was too sexy Mm. and that's what happens when you have your main characters dating evil demons all the time yeah this guy's supposed to have sort of a sinister edge because we're supposed to think that he's a demon shapeshifted to be their dad he's not but he just possibly their dad is working with demons yeah we're supposed to question his motivations and look i'm just gonna say this now it really 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 bothers me It's like the whole Snape thing, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to question his motivations because of his behavior. And then when we find out that he's not actually working with the demons, we're supposed to be like, oh, hey, look, we were wrong about him the whole time. No, we weren't. He was a jerk. I don't care if he wasn't actually working with that specific demon. He still abandoned his children and or abused his students. Yes. Also, Prue, before she realizes who this is, she points out that this ring is said to protect one from spirits and magic. Ah, yes, that is important. It's not just demons. It's also magic. Prue's sweater set in this is really ugly. It's fine. It's just neutral colors. It's brown and tan. It washes her out a little bit. It looks like she's not wearing a shirt, but her nipples fell off. It's fine. So she's like, hey... Get the fuck out of my office. I don't want to see you ever again. And Evil Dad's like, ho, but I want to see you. And then he skittles off. He is really, really creepy, and he really feels like he's hitting on his daughters in every scene he's in with them. Yeah, it's not okay. Next we see Prue at lunch with Piper and Phoebe, and she's telling them about meeting up with their dad, and... The other two girls are like, oh, we really want to have a daddy again. We should all meet up with him and, like, be with him and, like, forgive him instantly for everything. And who even needs to forgive? It's our fault he left. Well, remember, Phoebe went to New York to look for him. You know, I forgot that. I did forget that. There is sort of a gradient of faith in their dad across the sisters. Yeah, the more a sister knew him, the less she trusts him. Yeah, Prue wants nothing to do with him. Piper's like, it's been a long time. Maybe we should let him back in our lives. Like, you knew him more than we did. We never got the chance to know him. And Phoebe's like, yeah, daddy, I want to meet my dad. Woo. Yeah. Whose fault is it that you never had a chance to get to know him? It's his fault. It just, just makes me so angry. And Prue brings up a really good point. Hey, isn't it weird that dad has nothing to do with us for like over 20 years And then as soon as we get our powers, he suddenly shows back up into town. Right? Exactly. Which, this is a little bit of a diversion, but I think uh, it's something we should talk about. Who do you think is the main character of the show? Oh, um, I definitely think that right now the main character of the show is Prue. Yeah. After her untimely demise because of Shannon Doherty's um, terminal bitchiness... I think the main character become was that too mean? I'm sorry. I just, I, it's, it's documented. Um, after that, I think the main character really becomes Piper because the story is how will Piper balance 
living the life she wants to live and having powers. See, the thing is, I, I, I do agree with that to a degree, but I think the first season, Prue is the main character. Uh-huh. I think the second season, Piper is the main character. We get all of her stuff with Leo. Oh, I didn't realize that was as early as season two. Wow, okay. And in the third season, Phoebe's the main character because that's when we get all of her stuff with Cole. Ah, uh-huh, Cole. And then Paige is never the main character because the show is not interested in Paige. Poor Paige. But it... What, what about Billy? Is Billy ever the main character? Oh, God. Oh, Billy. Billy, Billy, Billy. We do get a lot of Prue-centric stuff early on. Prue is the main character in the early part of the show, which <laughs> is good. And it is good that every sister sort of gets her time in the limelight, but that also means that Prue falls really out of focus in the next two seasons as the other two sisters come into their own, which I know is not an organic growth thing. It's all about drama from behind the scenes, but it does also really work with the groundwork they lay in the first season. Yeah, and that makes sense. But speaking of growing away from Prue... Oh my, okay. So the next scene is at Victor's Hotel, Phoebe has decided to pop in to meet the father she never knew. She's wearing a butterfly barrette during this scene, which makes her even more childlike than she usually is. And when she walks in, there's no reason for this. Like, what, what was the rationale behind this choice? Her father is getting a massage in his hotel room when she walks in, which means he's naked. It's very uncomfortable. Why was that choice made? Yeah. Phoebe enters the scene in her weird midriff-bearing shirt. Okay, but it's bearing less of her midriff than her shirt's usually bare. It is, and you, in fact, don't see her midriff because it has this purple yarn at the bottom. It's got a... It, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just detailing. I guess I forgot how much midriff the 90s had. But it does sort of have this weird chemistry in this scene where Victor is naked throughout the scene. He's like, oh, I wasn't expecting to see one of my daughters. Oh, not, no, not his daughter. My baby girl. His baby girl. Look, this is the kind of, this is the way you would stage a scene if you wanted someone flustered when they met their love interest for the first time before the romance started. Like, there, why, Max? Why is it like this? And I know the term daddy has been aggressively sexualized over the last few years to a degree that it was not in the early 90s, or in this case, late 90s. But it's still weird that she's, she comes in the room and she's like, Daddy? Yeah. And the whole thing is very uncomfortable. And it only gets less comfortable when Victor guesses that this is Piper. Oops. He doesn't yeah. even know his daughters. Yeah, he's like, it's so great to see you, Piper. And she's like, he's like, uh, Phoebe. Then he offers to call up drinks from room service and asks her if she's legal. And she responds, barely. Uh... Like, this is, what is happening with this scene? This is not, a, this is why they had to recast him. This is why. Shit like this. So she's like, I'm, I'm good without drinks. And he's like, well, I, I could get food or I could call the masseuse back and you could have a massage. And she's like, what? No, I, I, I just I just wanted to spend some time with you. You're my dad and I never really got to know you. And he's like, yeah, it's like looking in a mirror, right? 
an older dude mirror who's standing naked in front of you and she's like uncomfortable he tells her that she has his eyes and she's like immediately won over when he says this which is just another way he's super manipulative by the way and then he asks for a hug and and then when they hug phoebe has a vision she has a vision of him taking the book from her out of the house the book of shadows the book of shadows the source of their power yes and then standing awkwardly while staring directly into the camera while holding the book. And doing like a sly, evil half smile. And she breaks out of the vision and she's like, oh. Time to nope out of here. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you at dinner. Bye. It was nice hugging you while you were wearing a robe and totally naked. This whole situation wasn't really, really uncomfortable. Ugh, ugh. Oh, speaking of things that are uncomfortable... We go from that to a scene at the Hallowell Manor's front door where a mailman, a mailman in quotation marks, takes out his finger and it like morphs into a key to the house so that he can unlock the door and go in. And it's not a bad effect. It's like, it creeps me out for some reason. It's like total body horror. No, it's really good because it sort of plays with the fact that these are low end demons. These aren't fancy, super CGI demons. This is the sort of gross, low-level demon power you'd have. I mean, it's obviously just a key pressed up against the guy's finger with some putty over it, but it, like, creeps me out. I don't like it. Yeah. Again, something I like about the earlier seasons is how low-rent and kind of gross magic is. Yeah. So once the fake mailman is into the house, he runs upstairs straight to the attic and, okay, this really bugs me. Mm-hmm. He can't get into the attic at first because the attic is magically protected. Mm-hmm. And so then he, like, steps, he takes a step back, and then he has, like, a running kick, and he kicks the door to the attic down, and now he's able to go into it. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a fast edit thing, so I guess we can assume some magic was being used there. The attic is magically protected. If he can't open the door, he shouldn't be able to kick the door down. Mm. I, I mean, that's just, that's just basic world rules 101 right maybe the ghost in charge of that door is pretty uh pretty weak it's a weak door ghost i guess luckily the ghost who actually guards the book of shadows is stronger well it's grams yes that's true that's true he takes the book of shadows and he runs downstairs but the book cannot leave the house except with one of the girls Mm -hmm. that is a rule i think this might be the first time that rule is established Later in the show, the book won't be able to be touched by demons at all. I don't know if that's just because the sister's magic gets more powerful or just they did not have consistent rules for this sort of thing. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure either. But yes, consistently, it can't be taken out of the house. So there's a little bit of slapstick where he tries to pull the book out of the house and he can't. And then Prue is coming up the drive. So he tosses it into the living room and morphs into Detective Andy, Inspector Andy. I'm sort of disappointed that T.W. Knight isn't in more stuff. I I really didn't remember Andy that much. It's been a long time since I've seen the first season. And he's consistently more enjoyable than I remember him being. Because he does a pretty good job being a demon who's pretending to be someone's ex-boyfriend. Also, he's pretty attractive and not just in a specifically 90s way. Yeah. So he's kind of awkward because Prue's like, Andy, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I saw the door open, and as a human police cop, 
I thought maybe I should check to make sure no one had broken into your house. Prue does not doubt him. Prue, no matter how awkward he is, and he's very awkward because Prue's like, hey, remember that conversation we had last night? Well, about that. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, I know exactly what you're talking about. To be fair to Prue, she noticed the Book of Shadows and she telekinetically pushes it, uh, you know, behind a couch in the living room. Yeah, no, I like that. And then the sister from across the street pops her head and she's like, everything okay in here? Which is weird. Right? Nobody nobody questions the weirdness of that. Like, are these, is this these demons' first time on Earth? Is this their first time interacting with other humans? Yeah, because why would you think anything was wrong? She just walked into her house. These demons are terrible at pretending to be humans. So Prue, after fake Andy is gone, picks up the book and goes to bring it upstairs and sees the door to the attic has been smashed down. We cut to Phoebe saying, look... You don't know someone broke into the house. And Prue's like, I think I do because the door was blasted to smithereens and the Book of Shadows was, you know, on the floor in the living room. Did you leave it on the floor of the living room? What a weird thing to say. Anyway, they're going through the yellow pages looking for a handyman. Hmm. Yeah. She is letting her fingers do the walking. I know, right? But they're also talking about Prue's definite suspicion that it was Victor who tried to steal the book. Victor just showed up in town, and now twice the book has tried to be stolen. And you know what? This really bugs me. Mm -hmm. Phoebe is defending him despite the fact that she specifically had a vision of him stealing the book. Yeah, Piper doesn't get a lot to do in this episode, which is fair. She had a pretty good subplot last episode. Yeah. But she's like, Prue, we don't even know if Dad knows we're charmed. And Prue's like... So? (laughs) Like, he comes to town, suddenly someone's breaking into the house and trying to steal the book. I I can put two and two together. I'm so mad at Phoebe, though. Yeah. Piper's like, hey, we we should call the cops and tell them that someone broke into our house. And Prue's like, nah, it's okay. My cop boyfriend was over here. He's on it. He's on the case. And Phoebe... Okay, so... They don't trust us because she has a flashback to her vision. Oh my god. And then she tries to deflect it onto Andy, which you grew up with Andy. She's like, Andy was in the house. Why aren't you blaming Andy for trying to take the book? Which would have been more fair because it was someone morphed into Andy, blah, blah, blah. But you grew up with Andy. You knew him. What's with this weird Andy blaming? I mean, to defend the dad who you know is trying to steal the book. I'm not okay with these girls not backing Prue up. I really am not. And, and speaking of not backing Prue up, they tell her that they're going to go have dinner with their dad that night. They invite her to come along. They're like, we're going to have dinner with dad. It would be nice if you came to have dinner with us. And she's like, hard pass. Yeah, right? So they're at a nice restaurant, I'd say. Well, they're at the restaurant that's in his fancy hotel. Yes. And he's talking about how, you know, the last time they were together... Piper would only eat food that was white because, you know, little kids do dumb shit. And and, and Phoebe was still breastfeeding or something. I don't know. He keeps bringing up things he knows about them from when they were four and one because he would just want... Because he's being manipulative. He's being really manipulative. And I hate how easy they're falling for it. Yeah, it's not great. And Piper, being the middle ground person, is like... It's nice that you want to connect, but 
why now? Why, why do you want to reconnect with us now? And he's like, well, it is dinner time. What a fucking dad joke. Well, he is their dad. Whatever. And, you know, Pipe and Phoebe's like, ha ha, I get it, dad jokes. And Piper's like, that didn't really answer my question. And then it hard cuts back to Prue. Yeah, meanwhile, back in the Hallowell Manor, Prue is steaming a gigantic brick of broccoli. I guess that's her dinner. Like, it's it's just so much broccoli and nothing else. I like, I like broccoli, but damn. So Andy comes over and Andy's like, hey, my plans fell through tonight, so I thought maybe we could, you know, doink. And Prue's like, okay, we can doink, but first I need to talk angrily about my dad for about half an hour. And he's like, Prue. We've had sex before. I know how it works. (laughs) I actually really like that she tells him that she would actually much rather be with him because her dad's in town and her other option is hanging out with her dad. It's like, thanks. I'm glad I'm a better option than your terrible, disappearing, abandoning father. Which, I do really like this scene. You get a sense of the history between the two characters you can feel how comfortable they are with each other, and Andy is genuinely listening to her and engaging with what she's saying. She's talking about how she doesn't feel like she can trust him and how she's hurt that her sisters are prioritizing his needs over hers. It's actually a really great contrast between the way Andy is being charming and tapping into their shared history and the way in the restaurant their father is being manipulative and trying to make them feel like they owe him something because he remembers one thing about when they were four. And not listening to them and not engaging with them. It is a really interesting contrast, which is, again, uncomfortable because Andy is Prue's boyfriend and Victor is their dad. Right? Oh. (laughs) Prue says that she really just wants to give Victor a piece of her mind. Just, like, really tell him what an asshole he is, you know? Mm -hmm. And Andy's like, you should. And then we cut back to the restaurant. Prue is storming in there to give Victor a piece of her mind. Yep, she is ready. And Victor rises to his feet and he's like, Prudence. He's got a real, that guy who played the devil in Reaper quality to him. Uh, Ray Wise? Yes, he has a Ray Wise quality about him. Yeah, he would, well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense and is perfect because... Victor's giving me a real Laura Palmer's dad vibe in this whole episode, which is also who Ray Wise famously played. Ah. So Prue brings up some very good points, such as, hey, where were you for our entire childhood? And since when do you have money? Also, we could have really used money at many points in our life. Yeah, seriously. You see the giant ass house we live in? You know, I'm the only one up until recently who had a consistent job. Like... Who do you think pays property taxes in California on that thing? In San Francisco. Oh my god, those property taxes must be killer. And he brings up, he's like, oh, you were always such an angry child. I remember this one time. And she's like, oh yeah, I remember this one time where you left and didn't talk to us for 20 years. Then a waiter comes out carrying baked Alaska that appears to be on fire. Like, they say it's flambe, but it... Baked Alaska that's on fire. It's flaming Alaska. And, of course, the waiter trips over some careless patron's foot. Mm-hmm. And Piper instinctively freezes time. And this time, unlike with the drop plates in the last episode, she catches the flambe. 
she runs over and picks it up so that she's holding it. So it looks like she, like, from everyone else's point of view, it looks like she blinked over there and caught it. I didn't understand why she didn't just, like, write the waiter. That's what I would have done. Mm. Maybe she didn't have time. Because she still can't control how long she keeps things frozen. Yeah. Also, that waiter goes down and does not get back up. (laughs) That poor waiter. It does kind of remind me of, again, the bit in the last episode where Andy walked into the back room, shoulder-checked the waiter who dropped all of the plates on the ground, and then as soon as he was unfrozen, he just kept walking and does not acknowledge the fact that he dropped all of the plates on the ground. Oh, yeah, that's true. In this, that waiter falls down, Piper catches the flambe, and then that we don't see that waiter again. (laughs) That poor waiter. But Victor's like, ah, so Piper can freeze time. Prue, that must mean you can move objects with your mind, and Phoebe, you can see the future. Ugh, I hate him so much. And I hate how, like, smug he is about, oh, you thought you put one over on old dad, but I'm one step ahead of you because I'm your elder and you're better. I hate him so much. Wah, 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 I knew you were witches. Also, he's saying this right in front of the waiter on the ground. (laughs) Eh, whatever. He's one of the guys who doesn't consider waitstaff people. Yeah, definitely. We go back to the mansion where... Piper and Phoebe are reading magazines, except, shocker, it's not actually them, it's the shapeshifters. Yeah, the mailman comes in and they just start having a conversation, and then of course they all morph, and it's the siblings from across the street. Why is he the mailman again? I don't don't know. To to give us a weird gotcha here, even though there's no reason for them to do it in-universe. Yeah, there's not really a good reason for them just... Are they hanging around the house as the sisters to try to trick the book into thinking they're the sisters? Or Yeah, why are they just chilling on the couch reading magazines? Like, what is even happening? Obviously, their plan is to get the book. And the sister, one out of the three of them, is like, Hey, why don't we just tear them to shreds and then take the book after they're dead? And then she morphs into... Like, her hair straightens out and becomes brunette when she turns into her monster form. Her monster form is wearing an Elvira wig. Yeah, it's wearing an Elvira wig, and it's black eyes, and it's pointy teeth. Yeah. By the way, the sister is the only one who actually gets a demon form. The two brothers we see in their brother's forms, and we see them when they morph, but that's it. The sister's the only one who turns into, who actually does turn into a demon. So, one of the brothers is like, Cynthia, heal. Cinda. Cinda. Oh, good. Cinda. Yes. Cinda. And she is, she is growling away around her fake fangs. Yeah, she's like, I want to eat them so bad. But the actual sisters and their dad are coming home. So the morphers morph into birds and fly out the uh, door. Yep. Yep. And then Prue you know, goes to check things out. And even though they've been invaded by demons twice in the last 24 hours, it's like, oh, there was a window open. The birds probably just flew in through the window. Those were definitely not demons, despite how demonic that clearly was. Did you forget that someone blew up the door to your attic earlier this episode? I, whatever. You know what? I can't even be upset about that because I'm too upset about the fact that in the living room, while Prue was checking things out, Victor is like pulling up every single photograph and talking about the story of when the photo was taken. Yeah, he's still going hard at the nostalgia, which is, I mean, to be fair, it worked well on Phoebe, not so well on Piper, and not at all on Prue. He's just trying so hard to establish himself as a part of their life, even though they didn't know it, and I'm not here for it. I just, ugh. 
he uh, shows Prue a picture uh, from a piano recital and points out that the shoulder blades in uh, off to the side off to the side of the picture are her mom because uh, she was crying too much watching Prue play the piano to be able to hold the camera still properly. Ugh. Uh, something that sticks out to me here, and something which is sort of a strong thing, at least for the first part of the show, mm-hmm. is the importance of the sister's mother. Yeah. Later in the show, talking to their grandmother's ghost becomes more commonplace. Their mother's ghost only appears in very certain situations, and she's got sort of a stronger presence than other dead people. Like, you know it's a significant event when their mother shows up. I was going to say the absence of their mother is itself a character. Yeah, very much so. Patty's early death and sort of the impact it had on everyone around them, she's sainted, kind of, in a way that Graham's is not. You know what it's weirdly like? What? It's weirdly like the Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, the way Amy Lynn's death is the focal point of the series and and the same thing where she is lionized in death in a way that when we see in the one episode we see her in she she was a nice woman but she was not yeah she shows up a few times post-death uh she's never as regular as grams will become later in the show she tends to only show up during really dramatic moments she shows up for piper's wedding she so uh she shows up to save prue from drowning And there's sort of a sainthood around her where she became much more powerful and significant in death because in the episode where we have to deal with her dying, she did kind of go out like a chump. (laughs) Wow. I'm sorry. She got killed by a river demon. Wow. That would be like, I mean, I guess Prue goes out to a wind demon, but it just, it feels sort of anticlimactic. Like you think of her as dying in this big dramatic battle against evil, but it's a lake monster grabbed her. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. It's a non-sexual shape of water. It's a great highlight of the mundanity of death. Which I do sort of wish they had played with more. And actually, I feel like it adds a lot of weight to Prue's death. The fact that she didn't die in some giant battle against, you know, the big evil. It was just a regular demon who killed her. Who just got lucky. Yeah, who got lucky. Well, I mean, it's like with the Slayers, right? The Slayer has to be lucky every single time. A demon just has to get lucky once. And also, you know, none of us know the time or place of our death. Yeah. Not even witches. And, you know, in this world. In this world, they do. Mm. So, Phoebe is really excited to talk to Victor about being a witch. She keeps telling the story about how she, you know, found the book, and then she read the incantation, and then, bam, she was Tabitha. Which I find interesting. That she cast herself as the daughter witch from Bewitched and not the main witch from Bewitched? Yes! Isn't that interesting? It is. And uh, she points out something which says a lot about Phoebe's character. And again, it's a good piece of character work that she's kind of disappointed that she got the passive power. That, you know, she can see the future and it's, it's cool and all, but she wishes that she got one of the showier powers. And... Victor's like, actually, according to your mother, precognition was the most valued power. And uh, Phoebe's like, yeah, okay, Dad, sure. Then Phoebe mentions the Book of Shadows, and 
The other sisters try to shush her, but Victor reveals that he already knows about the Book of Shadows, and then not suspiciously at all asks if he can see it. Yeah, he's like, I haven't seen it in years. Meanwhile, back at the other house, Cinna? Cinda. Cinda is smashing a chair to show how upset she is about not getting to eat the sisters. Yeah, they really do show her as the violent feral one which is why they never say that she's the dog but i have to assume she is yeah so she's like why can't i just kill them and the uh skeet ulrichie brother is like hey look normally i'd be all for you killing them except we need to get the book which means we're going to need at least one of them alive and she's like well then we'll kill two of them and then the other one will help us because she'll be too scared and he's like that's not how the charmed ones work Yeah, and also, as he rightly points out, they're new witches, but they're also incredibly powerful witches, so they shouldn't run in there half-cocked. They need to have a solid plan, or else they're going to say some rhyming bullshit and they're going to explode. Spoilers. They do say that they still have one plan, and that plan is Victor, you know, just so that we, the audience, continue to think that Victor is evil. Which, to be fair, he is, yeah. So... Back with the sisters, Prue's like, hey, Victor, get the fuck out of my house. And Phoebe's like, no, dad, stay. Be our dad. We need a dad. We're adult women, but we need a man to look after us. And Prue's like, no, get out. And Piper's like, okay, I, I'm I'm playing peacekeeper here. Why don't we all calm down? And wh- wh- which, by the way, calming down is a good thing to do, but it is a terrible piece of advice to give anyone. Yeah, that's true. Now, can I talk about what really bugs me about Victor? Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. He he admits that he is there to take the Book of Shadows. Ugh. But not because he's evil and wants the power, but rather because he thinks the power is too much for them. And he wants to spare them from that. He wants to be their Darren daddy. Ugh. I hate him. So see, I, I, they had to, re- they had to retcon his whole character, or I would just be too frustrated to watch further episodes with him in it, unless the episodes involved them like beating him up. He doesn't bring up the thing that he should bring up here, which is that this book is what got their mom killed. Being a witch is what got their mom killed. Although, and this is another thing I like about the story, Patty divorced him before she died. They were not married mm-hmm. when Patty died. Yeah. I think that's an interesting element to this whole dynamic. He left, well, he left Patty before. Uh, we'll find out more about that later uh, in this episode, and it is later, I feel like it. it's still canon later, that Grams did use magic to keep Victor away from the girls. I know, so I can't entirely blame him for not being in their lives, but I can entirely blame him for wanting to take away their power. Yeah. I mean, he's literally the patriarchy come to take away their power. To be ambiguously fair to him, Grams also did end up taking away their powers. She locked their powers away so they wouldn't hurt each other while they were children. I mean, she was going to permanently take away their powers right before she died. That's true. That's true. That's not okay either. But the thing is, but the thing is, Grams, they love her, but I feel like as a character, she's never really portrayed entirely as good. No, definitely not. 
like she is good in that she fought demons and she looked after her grandchildren but she is portrayed as a user of people and there's definitely some weird straw feminism with her too oh yeah so after about 10 minutes of telling victor they want him to leave and him not leaving prue telekinetically throws him into a wall and then he says if you wanted me to leave you could have just asked and as he says this He's menacingly approaching her, not quietly walking away. Yeah, like she had been asking you to leave. It's this weird rewriting of the scene, which is a lot of what Victor does. Now, I do disagree with you. I think they should have kept Victor in the, like, because later Victor is a lot nicer. He's a lot kinder. He's a lot more of the doofy dad guy. Uh I would have liked it if he had stayed in the show in like the same number of episodes as doofy victor but as a more sinister malevolent presence i okay i would have liked it if he was an out and out antagonist like if he was meant if he was meant to be something for the sisters to fight see i would have liked it if he was not even just a straight antagonist but a bad person who is there well he could have been the umbrage right he's not demonic he's this is just a human who's bad that they have to deal with which is really not something we got enough of in the show. I can't think of any, really. Yeah. So Victor goes back to his hotel room only to find, uh-oh, shapeshifters. Yep. Yep. They're... I don't... I don't... Whatever. So he's smoking a stogie throughout this scene, which, my God, it's like they're trying to make him the least likable person ever. So honestly, I'm kind of with the shapeshifters here because they're like, hey, so... You're going to help us uh, get that book or we're going to eat you. And he's like, hmm, but what do I get out of this? And they're like, we're not going to eat you. Yeah. And then he's all like, I know that you think you can just shapeshift into me and get the book from the girls, but you don't know how to manipulate them and push their buttons the way I do. So you need me. Yeah, because the John C. Riley one's like, you know, we don't need to deal with you. I can just shapeshift into you. And Victor's like, uh, uh, uh. But they all hate me now, except for Phoebe, and I only I know how to get into Phoebe's good graces. So, I have the upper hand here. What am I going to get out of this? I'm super entitled. And I mean, I know that he has a plan to, like, help the sisters out. Does he? Uh, he does. But still, it's not okay that he instinctively does know how to manipulate Phoebe, because he's been doing it the whole episode. We go to breakfast the next day where everyone is super depressed over, you know what went down last night and phoebe's like hey maybe i should have mentioned this earlier (laughs) but i went to see dad before we went to meet him for dinner and i had a vision of him trying to steal the book so prue maybe you were right and prue's like fucking really i know i I, what the hell phoebe what the hell she talks about how she wants to believe in her dad and again, this is good character work for Phoebe because one of the reasons she's over-relating to their dad is because she was the bad one who was trying to get back into the sisters' graces when the show started. She wants to show him the forgiveness she wants her sisters to show her. But again, it's really solid character work. Absolutely. And and she and Prue do make up and hug. And Piper's not pleased because she had to be the peacekeeper all night. Now all of a sudden everybody's all happy with each other. And what the hell? But more importantly, she notices Dad's ring. 
Yes, he dropped his ring. Oh, probably when yeah. Prue threw him into the wall. Prue, Prue mentions it. She's like, it must have slipped off when he fell. Oh, that talk about creepy rewriting of the scene. I'm sorry. I'm on Prue's side, but oof, oof. I mean, her dad's not entirely wrong. She does have a lot of his forceful personality. Should she have been able to throw him into the wall like that when he was wearing the ring? She probably shouldn't have, right? Yeah, she's a charmed one, I guess. Uh, yeah, as we'll see later in the episode, the ring doesn't entirely protect you from magic. Yeah, I guess it just makes it harder for magic to work on you. Sure. So, Phoebe goes out to get the paper, and her father is outside, and also two of the shapeshifters just sitting on the hood of their car, parked in front of their house, like you do. Yeah, I mean, who, who among us haven't spent a... Nice Sunday morning sitting on the roof of our car watching the house across the street from us. This is why he has all those parking tickets. Mm. (laughs) So Victor tells Phoebe that she's got to get the book out of the house to keep it safe. But then he does this thing where he like grabs her shoulders and shakes her specifically to prompt a vision. So that she sees the vision of her dad stealing the book. But she sees more of it and sees that it wasn't her dad. It was Skeet Ulrich-looking neighbor, shapeshifted as her dad, because she sees him take the book, shapeshift back into himself, and then walk away with his siblings and look back at her mockingly. Speaking of the weird dog walk earlier, they're doing this weird kind of shuffly walk, and then they all look over their shoulders at the camera in the premonition. Also... Are Phoebe's premonitions just being dicks early on? I know, right? It was a very unhelpful vision. Because last episode we had the, uh, you know, she saw that she was about to get grabbed by Javna right before she got grabbed by him. So she saw what was happening, but not in a way that allowed her to affect the outcome at all. Well, I mean, I guess if the vision was telling her, don't give the book to your dad no matter what, it doesn't need to add the sentence... Because he might be a demon shapeshifted to look like your dad, you know, as long as she doesn't give the book to anyone who looks like her dad. Fair. So Skeet Ulrich and John C. Riley come over and they're like, hey, is the guy who's shaking you and yelling at you bothering you? It is sort of a neat ploy on his part to trigger the vision in her. It kind of reminds me of that one scene in True Blood where uh, Tara and Sookie are trapped by the witches and Tara is like, telling Sookie how stupid she is and she's like are you listening to me Sookie are you listening to me as she's thinking instructions to Sookie about how to get her out of the uh yeah yeah yeah. I I I like using people's mental powers while the people around you don't know okay so as previously established these demons have just like never met humans because Phoebe is clearly freaked out so she runs into the house to run upstairs and get the book of shadows and then the demons, like, follow her in and are like, hey, I have cookies. Hey, the door was unlocked. They're all coming in from different entrances to the house. And Phoebe's like, I have to go upstairs. It is a, like, the demons are being so weird here. I mean, I, whatever. They're demons. They don't know what's up. And then, oh my god. And then Victor walks in and says, daddy's home. Dear god. So Phoebe runs upstairs and starts flipping through the book. I think that what she gets isn't specifically a vanquish for shapeshifters. She points out that she doesn't know what she's looking for, and then the book flips around to a spell to rid evil from a home. Well, yes, okay. 
Uh, it actually rids the home of everything except the Sisters Three, which is a highly specific spell to be in that book. Which... Passed down for generations, but can only be used by the Charmed Ones. I mean, that's a lot of the books in the... I mean, basically every Power of Three spell that's in the book is there specifically for the Charmed Ones. I guess that's true. But you'd think they'd use the spell more often. Oh, no, no. It's like, once you use the spell, you burn it off. You can't use the same spell twice. That's the rule. Because it is a pretty good generic vanquish. Yeah. I think this is also the first generic vanquish. I think I also think this is the first classic charmed vanquish we get. No, no, they vanquished the warlock in the very first episode. And the pilot with the the power of three will set us free. But I'm I'm talking about a rhyming couplet. I mean, I guess the power of three will set us free is a rhyming couplet. Yeah. It feels more like a traditional charmed vanquish, though. Yeah, I guess it does. Um, so. Both Victor and one of the demons shapeshifted to look like Victor are in the living room and they're like, shoot him! No, shoot him! You know, it's that moment. Which, you'd think Victor could have said something, like, specific to one of their childhoods? Well, no, they try to. The one Victor is like, is like, oh, Phoebe, remember when you were afraid of the dark when you were a child? And the other Victor's like, all kids are afraid of the dark! You're just cold reading her! And then one of the victors is like, ooh, Prue wasn't afraid of the dark. That's something I know. Yeah. You could have just used telekinesis to throw both of the victors out. Yeah, like, who cares? So, Prue telekinetically moves the ring to the victor who gives the impassioned speech about how, uh, how they should just kill all four of them, and that's the only way they can know to be safe. And then, of course, that victor picks up the ring that's been telekinetically moved to him so that he can be protected from magic. It seems like the spell shouldn't work on him anyway. It's like, I guess it's to murder everyone in the house who isn't them. What if Kit was in the house? Yeah, we uh, we missed it earlier. There was a Kit watch moment. We didn't actually see Kit, but uh, when they were talking about getting a security system, uh, Phoebe says we can't exactly rely on uh, Kit to be our guard cat, but we did not actually see the cat. Yeah. So let's hope Kit's out of the house for this. So the girls start chanting the banishment spell and the demons start melting and Victor <laughs> starts like convulsing, but in a terrible, terrible way. Also, the sister morphs back into her monster form before she melts. Why not? Why not? So apparently the ring protected him enough to not die from them rhyming. And he's like, I've learned a very valuable lesson. I might think of you as my little girls, but you can literally murder people by talking, so you don't need me anymore. Yep. And then he left. Mm. And we never saw him again. Gone forever. But, yes, he, he talks about how they don't need him anymore, but he'll meet them for dinner before he heads out of town. And then we cut to that evening when the sisters are getting ready for dinner, and Phoebe comes in in a little black dress... Okay, I have to say, it's funny because you mentioned it before. Um, she's wearing kind of a sexy little black dress because it's strappy. Mm-hmm. And, but Piper is also wearing a little black dress. It just has cap sleeves. They're like, why are you so dressed up? I'm like, you're equal amounts of dressed up. But, okay, whatever. Phoebe says she wanted to look nice for her father. That's why she wore this sexy little black dress. It's, it's also not great that... 
when the scene opens, it opens on Prue canceling her date with Andy so she can go out to dinner with her dad. Yes. Phoebe talks about how she's like, look, I don't have a romanticized version. I I no longer have this romanticized picture of him in my head anymore. I still want to give him a chance. I still think he's trying to be a better person, but I'm not suffering under the delusion that he's, you know, a A good good person. person. I'm just trying to accept him for who he is. And Piper's like, yeah, fair. Uh, Piper actually very uh, premonitionally for Piper says she's just glad to feel like a normal family for a moment. Ooh, yeah, this is major league foreshadowing for Piper's uh, character arc in the future. Speaking of Piper's character arc in the future... my, there is someone at the door! Yes, the handyman has shown up to fix their door that kerploded. And it's Brian Krause! Oh, yes it is! It is Brian Krause in the 15 minutes he was attractive, which is unfair. He, he, he... Brian Krause was attractive all through the show and remains attractive today. It's just that Leo gets so punchable. Well, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay. Brian Krause had a Jason Siegel and How I Met Your Mother thing, where he's attractive at the beginning of the show because he's got his I was just looking for a role thing, so I'm super in shape. As the series goes on, he kind of stops trying for a really long time, and then in the last couple of seasons, he starts trying again, and he once more becomes attractive. Ah. But there's a long period in the middle where it feels like he just kind of gave up on trying to be attractive. Yeah, it's probably true. Although, apparently, I hear from uh, some charmed panels that I was watching online that Brian Krause went home with most of the day players who came onto the show. (laughs) Not surprising. He was dating Alyssa Milano for a bit, wasn't he? He also dated Alyssa Milano for a bit. Oh, and I'm glad you brought that up because... When he comes in, it's Phoebe who's like, oh, hello, handyman. Yeah, and she's like, let me show you upstairs. Yeah. Which, I feel like we get this sort of recycled later with neighbor Dan. Oh, I'll have to watch out for that. So, Leo gives them an envelope that was sitting on their front door that had a note from their dad that said, hey, guess what? I blew town. I'm not coming back. But just to keep you on the hook... Here's a video of you opening presents one Christmas morning. And weirdly, your mom is played by Alyssa Milano in this home video. Like, really obvious, you literally see her face in it. Well, I mean, that makes sense that Phoebe would look like her mom. I mean. Mm. But it does make it creepy that he kisses her twice. You know, he's making out with the woman who looks like... The daughter, I know that's not the order of things here, but it's a very weird bow on a very weird relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So, which also doesn't work because later, later. Their mom looks nothing like Alyssa Milano. Nothing like Alyssa Milano later. And I I like the actress they got to play their mom. She honestly more resembles Holly Marie Combs. Well, it's as though this entire family got retconned, right? Because the dad's gone. He has a different last name. The mom looks completely different. I This episode, honestly, this episode may as well not exist. Which is too bad because, although continuity-wise it isn't super important, I, I still think this is a really solid episode. I, I like the character dynamics. I like the exploration of those character dynamics. I feel like this was a really well done episode. I 
was serviceable. Ooh, damning with faint praise there. It It is sort of still the part where we're exploring character dynamics, and this is still a very character-driven show. Yes. Uh, I believe it's about time for our segments. Oh, yes. So what's the first segment? So uh, I'm seeing that our first segment is Premonitions, where we look into the future or into the past and see where we uh, would know actors who appeared in this episode from. Okay, so, I mean, obviously I have to talk about Brian Krause. Yeah, it's who became famous later or who was famous in the past, who is, you know, who is slumming it on Charmed. I mean, okay, to be fair, Brian Krause is not super famous for anything other than Charmed. Uh, someone's forgetting a little movie called Escape from the Blue Lagoon 2. He was in Escape from the Blue Lagoon 2. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. He went on to do a bunch of amazing-looking made-for-TV movies that we should just do, like, a Brian Krause marathon and watch all of them. I mean, you sent me a text about a Christmas movie he's in coming up. Uh, yes, it's called A Christmas Switch, not to be confused with The, the Christmas, Christmas Switch. Switch. I'm sorry, it's The Christmas Witch, not to be confused with A Christmas Witch. Yes, he was also in a movie called... Hold on, it was such a bad title. What was it? Caramel Spiders? No. Oh, You're So Cupid. Oh. He played Cupid in a Valentine's Day Hollywood movie called You're So Cupid. I mean, surely you want to watch that, right? Oh, he was even in a 2012 scare film. Remember 2012 scare films? No, what what is... Okay, you you remember in 2012 when everyone thought the world was going to end because of that oh, Mayan prophecy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we got this, like, deluge of uh, apocalypse movies, and apparently he was in one of them. Oh, man, we just, we should, we should really watch all of the terrible Brian Krause made-for-TV movies. But, yes, uh, he is the big name from this. You may have recognized him from Escape from the Blue Lagoon 2, or you may have recognized him from thousands of TV movies. Yeah. And no one else was famous in this show. No, no, sadly. We haven't been. Uh, we haven't hit our John Cho stride yet. We we haven't hit that that meaty vein of '90s up and comers yet. But that will bring us to speaking of the '90s. That will bring us to our second segment, Time Freeze. What specifically dates this episode? And I think you brought it up a couple of times. The Yellow Pages. Yeah. Not only is there a reference to a Yellow Pages commercial. But they use the yellow pages. They literally dialed an angel. Which, how is that never a TV show? Dial an angel? Mm. Mm. They found an angel in the in the yellow pages. What are they going to come up with next? Blue pages? They have those. They're government listings. That joke doesn't make any sense anymore. That Simpsons joke is... Because they don't... Yeah. Yeah. Time moved past that joke. And the last segment telekinesis what genuinely moved you did anything genuinely move you this episode did you have anything i didn't really there's a lot of character work i like here but it doesn't have any good standout moments like prue pressing uh her sisters behind her or like all of piper's subplot from last episode honestly i think that's probably why this episode felt so weak to me the sisters were really at each other's throats this episode and so I, I think that it didn't hit the right buttons for me because the sister connection is what really makes the show for me. I think the strongest moment in the episode was Phoebe admitting that she was trying to make her dad into something he wasn't, even when her powers were telling her not to trust him. 
the bit where uh, the bit where Prue and Phoebe reconcile near the end, mm-hmm. but before the big confrontation was probably the strongest moment in the episode. It makes sense. It didn't move me so much, but <laughs> I, I do recognize it was a good point of connection for those two characters. So the next episode that we're covering is the charmed episode Dead Man Dating. And the Netflix description says, After being killed by gang thugs, Mark becomes a ghost whose soul is forfeit if Yama, the demon who confiscates souls for hell, gets him first. A.K.A. the John Cho episode. Yes! Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited for that. I remember liking that episode a lot and liking the dynamic he builds with Piper, which I'm sure we'll talk about when that uh, rolls around. But yeah. as for right now, I think that'll about do it. Yeah, I think that's it for this week. Welcome to Hallowell Manor is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts like Memphis Bell did. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Memphis Bell. We appreciate uh, the support. Yes, it helps the algorithm make us be seen. Woo! If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or anything about television in general, you should join our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Hallowell Manor.